That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of the warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi, and I'm the producer and host of this podcast. Today we'll feature a special report on the Coalition Against Nukes Rally for a Nuclear-Free Future, which was held last week in Washington, D.C. Three days of intense activism, visibility, lobbying, and strategizing, as nuclear activists from around the country and as far away as Japan joined forces in the battle for nuclear sanity. Today is Tuesday, September 25, 2012, and here is an abbreviated version of the week's nuclear news. On Monday, September 24th, TEPCO dropped a 24-foot, half-ton steel beam from a crane into the Unit 3 spent fuel pool at Fukushima Daiichi. TEPCO is saying everything is fine. No word on possible damage to the fuel rods contained in the pool, and at this time, few details are available. We'll give you more next week. There was another accident at Three Mile Island on Thursday, September 20th, when the nuclear power plant shut down unexpectedly because a reactor coolant pump failed. This according to an NRC spokesperson. People living adjacent to the facility report it was, quote, the loudest noise from Three Mile Island in 40 years, meaning since the nuclear accident there in 1979. Harrisburg activists at the Cannes Rally in D.C. presented a graphic display of news stories on the effects of radiation released from the 1979 nuclear accident. These included deaths and mutations in animals, illnesses in the local population, increased cancer rates, and other signs of exposure to low-level ongoing radiation. According to Eric Epstein of TMI Alert, any time a plant shuts down on short notice, it normally releases radiation. It's going to take some time to reconstruct the event and see how much was actually released. In D.C., Congressman Dennis Kucinich, a Democrat from Ohio, led a bipartisan coalition of 180 members of Congress to stand for veterans, for fiscal responsibility, and for friendship with the Japanese people by voting against H.R. 5987, which would have established a new national park celebrating the technologies of achievements of the Manhattan Project. This was planned to be done without mentioning any of the destructive power, the suffering of the victims, the ongoing damage to health and safety created by the results of the Manhattan Project. This totally numbnuts proposal was voted down, a small but vital win in the battle for nuclear sanity. The big story this week for activists was the Coalition Against Nukes Rally for a Nuclear-Free Future. It was held September 20th through 22nd, Thursday through Saturday, in Washington, D.C. Activists from around the country converged on D.C. to speak, lobby, and strategize with each other as we networked and planned our future actions. We started on September 20th at the Reflecting Pool in front of the U.S. Capitol building for the actual rally for a nuclear-free future. As we gathered, I spoke with a few of the activists about why they'd come and what they hoped to achieve. 
Gene Stone from Rose in Los Angeles. What are you doing here in D.C. September 20th, 2012 at 11.15 in the morning in front of the Capitol reflecting pool? I'm here to join my fellow uh, activists in the world that are concerned about the nuclear, the growing nuclear problem in America and our world. And I'm here to speak for the earth and the children uh, for our society so that the planet doesn't die. And what are you looking forward to most here? Coordination of actions future activities that we can uh, go forward together in peace and harmony and and for the good of the planet. Linda Seeley. Uh, I'm here representing the San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace, who have been the legal interveners against the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant since 1973. Um, our power plant is built on an intersection of at least 13 earthquake faults, and it's up for relicensing within the next few years. And we have many, many issues um, of safety around uh, our nuclear power plant. I'm very interested in meeting other people here in D.C. who are struggling with their own um, nuclear issues from manufacturing and processing and mining and um, storage of nuclear waste um, to the, the environmental effects of the, all of that. This is an opportunity for us to weave our, our issues together and to um, get stronger um, in this um, fight that we're all joined in together. Uh, we're I know we can do it. I know we can stop the nuclear madness. Susan Hito Shapiro is here from the New York City area. Susan, why are you here today in D.C.? Well, I'm here because I'm representing the Indian Point community and uh, the Radiation and Public Health Project and Clearwater. And we are all opposing the relicensing of Indian Point as well as the entire nuclear industry has become a liability to this country. And I'm here to talk about that and to meet with uh, congressional leaders to get Congress to act because Congress has to enact their oversight on this and uh, we have a real security risk going on right now that needs to be dealt with. At the rally, we heard from 20 activists. These people were working on nuclear reactor safety and licensing issues around the country at San Onofre, Davis-Bessey, Fermi, Indian Point, Vogel, Millstone, Vermont Yankee, Diablo Canyon, Three Mile Island, and the entire southeast. There were representatives from Greenpeace, Sierra Club, Friends of the Earth, Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, Blue Ridge Environmental Defense League, the Sage Alliance, Toledo Coalition for Safe Energy, Alliance for Progressive Values. We heard personal stories of dealing with radioactivity from Yori Mochizuki, the man behind the invaluable Fukushima Diary blog, and Kristen Iverson, author of Full Body Burden, about growing up in the shadow of Rocky Flats in Colorado. We heard about uranium mining, contamination of Native American lands by uranium, food safety issues, the nuclear reactor nuclear bomb connection, and Katie the Goat's radioactive milk. In short, we got an overview of the size, complexity, and interconnectedness of all aspects of the nuclear industry, as well as a sense of the power and diversity of our own activist community. A link to the videos of the entire rally can be found on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com, and click on the blog page. Then we trekked up to Capitol Hill for the first ever congressional briefing on nuclear issues, at least the first ever from our perspective. Congressman Dennis Kucinich hosted us and spoke eloquently, without notes, on nuclear dangers in his home state of Ohio. We're here today on one of the most important uh, 
times in the history of nuclear power. As the industry's proponents work hard to create a myth of a nuclear renaissance, the truth is that the industry's outlook has never been more tenuous. The fleet of existing nuclear power plants is aging, and uh, they're approaching or, or are already past their useful life. Already, 73 plants across the country have received brand new 20-year licenses on their aging plants, but another 33 are in the process or will be applying for 20-year extensions. At the same time, we're starting to find problems with these existing plants. In 2002, many of you are familiar with the story that workers at the Davis-Bessey nuclear power plant in Northwest Ohio while doing unrelated work, found a large corroded crater the size of a football in the reactor vessel head next to one of the nozzles. Only three sixteenths of an inch of steel remained intact at the bottom. Even that began to bulge and crack. The NRC later found that the plant may have been as close as 60 days from a breach. And if it did, there would have been a major release of radioactivity. It would have jeopardized the immediate and long-term safety of millions of Americans, not to mention the single biggest source of fresh water which exists in the world, namely the Great Lakes. The Government Accountability Office later weighed in on the incident, calling it, the, quote, the most serious safety issue confronting the nation's commercial nuclear power industry since Three Mile Island. The Department of Justice said that First Energy, the company that was involved, admitted that they, quote, knowingly made false representations to the Nuclear Power, to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, in the course of attempting to persuade the NRC that its Davis-Bessey nuclear power station was safe to operate beyond December 31st, 2001. Why would First Energy do this? Very clear. They put profit before the safety of millions of people. The cratered reactor head was replaced. It too began to fail. First Energy reluctantly agreed to replace it with a new one instead of a slightly used one. To replace the reactor head, they had to cut into the concrete shield building. When they did that, they found cracks in the building. Lots of them. As you know, the shield building is the last line of defense in the event of a nuclear reactor meltdown because it prevents radioactivity from being released. It's also supposed to protect the reactor from external missiles, like a plane. So if it's cracked, the plant is vulnerable. We watched First Energy and the NRC's handling of the crack, suspecting they try to minimize the significance of the damage in the building. We found inconsistencies in the stories we were getting from First Energy, the stories the NRC was getting from First Energy, and the stories we were getting from the NRC. Now they're trying to convince us now that the cracks which surround the building are the result of a blizzard in 1978. And that the cracks aren't new or a result of the aging process. So what is First Energy and the NRC's solution to a cracked protective structure? Paint it. And I suggest whitewash as an appropriate cover. <laughs> I've asked for a full investigation by the NRC Inspector General because the NRC has once again shown itself to be more of a friend than an impartial regulator of the industry. 
Now, thanks to the pressure that we've been applying, we've heard that the problem with the cracks in the shield building may not be restricted to Davis-Bessey. It may be affecting plants across the nation. If the cracks require repair, it'll be extremely expensive, even cost prohibitive. We need to continue to watch over Davis-Bessey and other nuclear power plants to make sure their owners are paying attention to safety rather than profits. Mariko Bender, originally from Fukushima, made a passionate appeal on behalf of the children of Fukushima and her group, the World Network for Saving Children from Radiation. I caught up with her after the briefing to ask her how she thought it went. Mariko, what was it like for you to be there and addressing, in essence, the representatives of Congress? I was there to represent the children of Fukushima, and I was thinking only about how to address the problem they're having to the congressman at the briefing. And that's all I was thinking of. And I was very, very happy that people are very, very attentive and uh, understand the situation, and especially uh, Congressman David Kuznets' uh, comment, especially on Fukushima and people and children, was very, very touching. I want people to understand the problem in Fukushima is also problems in the United States, having so many nuclear power plants. And also I want people to be aware that children in Fukushima are in a great, great danger and help us evacuate and help us save children somehow so that they can breathe fresh air and play outside freely one more time. Other speakers at the congressional briefing included a Skyped-in message from former Japanese ambassador to Switzerland, Mitsui Murata. Arjun Makajani, author of Carbon-Free and Nuclear-Free, a roadmap to U.S. energy policy, and a world-renowned nuclear expert. Dr. Catherine Thomason, executive director of Physicians for Social Responsibility. Arne Gunderson of Fairwinds on the Fukushima catastrophe and reactor in relation to our own nuclear plans. Paul Gunter of Beyond Nuclear addressed the dangers of the GE Mark I and Mark II reactor designs. Michael Marriott of Nears provided testimony on the state of our decrepit nuclear fleet in the United States. Alice Slater of the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation showed us the irrefutable relationship between nuclear weapons and nuclear energy while S. David Freeman, senior advisor with Friends of the Earth's nuclear campaign, urged us to speak with those who have not yet gotten our message. Again, links to the full congressional briefing can be found at nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. That night, we held a fundraiser cool-out party at Busboys and Poets in D.C. Our featured speaker was Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein, who had this to say to us. Thank you to all of the Coalition Against Nukes. And yes, we do need a nuclear-free world, free of nuclear power and free of nuclear weapons, and we need it now. And thanks so much to all of you for having the courage and the spine and the vision to stand up for what we want, for what we need, for what we deserve, and for what is within our reach. This campaign has been the opposite of what I expected. I've been running for office almost nonstop as part of building the opposition. 
over the last decade and thought that this race would be the most difficult, bitter, vicious of all. But in fact, it's been exactly the opposite. Um, it's as if there has been a political earthquake that's happened under our feet that has not yet been recognized. So I want to really bring the good news to you how strong this movement is out there, that there is a rebellion in full swing, and the anti-nuclear, nuclear-free movement is a key part of that rebellion. I want to thank you so much for having the courage and the dedication to be able to stand up and say what it is that we need and that we need nothing less. That you are not uh, just uh, kowtowing to the powers that be and asking for, oh, just a little bit. You're really asking for a nuclear-free world with the abolition of nuclear weapons. None of this demonizing of Iran. If you want to stop Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons, we need a nuclear-free Middle East entirely, as well as a nuclear-free world. And likewise on nuclear power, I think to be standing up and saying that we need to close down. It's not just stop building new nuclear plants but to actually close down the ones that we have, starting with the 23 uh, Fukushima-like nuclear power plants that are disasters waiting to happen. And the good news is that this, this quest for a safe world, a healthy world, an economy that can actually work and not be burdened by you know, the devastation of more nuclear plant blow-ups. All of this, you know, it's a win-win for all of us to move to clean, renewable energy and conservation. That's where we get the cheapest energy, one to three cents per kilowatt hour instead of this 25 to 30 cents with nuclear, which is the most expensive dirty and unsustainable and dangerous form of energy that there is. And we're saying no more. Candidate Stein's full address to us at Busboys and Poets will be up on the Nuclear Hot Seat website. Among other fun activities and rousing speakers that night, I got to perform two songs I'd written about my time at Three Mile Island. Here's the snippet of one set in a smoky cabaret in Weimar Republic, Germany as performed by a very bad Marlena Dietrich impersonator. Enough of that one for now. The second song is one that came to me the morning after I evacuated from Three Mile Island. I didn't say on the tape, but I meant to say that I consider it a gift from the other side, a cosmic response to the nuclear accident and what it meant to all of us. Video of both songs and the rest of the speakers from the fundraiser are up on the Nuclear Hot Seat website. Friday morning, September 21st, we attended a sacred ceremony at the Museum of the American Indian. Native Americans offered prayers for the preservation of Mother Earth 
and blessings for the activists in attendance. They blessed us with the spirit of the woman warrior. The ceremony included a cleansing using sage, copal, and a sacred eagle feather, along with a blessing song and drumming. Because of the nature of this event, no recording was made. That afternoon, we joined forces with the Occupy movement for an Occupy the NRC No War, No Nukes demonstration. Hosted by Michael Leonardi, the events coordinator for the Rally for a Nuclear-Free Future. Presidential candidate Jill Stein spoke to us again and stayed there for the entire event. What other presidential candidate has those creds? Dozens of speakers rallied the crowd of about 300 as NRC employees gathered on the other side of a fence and stared down at us from their office windows. At the demo, I had the opportunity to speak with Kevin Camps of Beyond Nuclear. I think it's great to, you know, have protests like this at NRC. I've been here in D.C. for 13 years, and there's only been one previous one that whole time, and that was about the Mobile Chernobyl Yucca Mountain issue. I think it was in 2002, and I know that it really throws these agencies into a stir to be protested physically at their front door. Over at DOE, um, I've helped organize a number, just a handful of protests in those 13 years as well on various issues, and there haven't been many more than that. Uh, Another one that I didn't organize was uh, African-American workers from Savannah Riverside Nuclear Weapons Complex protesting uh, really, you know, environmental racism is what it boiled down to, that they would get the worst jobs at SRS handling radioactive waste, never get a promotion. That's what happens to black workers at SRS. And the communities surrounding SRS are African-American, so they're getting all this radioactive contamination. And I heard the story that there was a colleague from the anti-nuclear side inside DOE headquarters just happened to be at a meeting. And it threw the entire headquarters building into a stir that there were a half dozen African-American nuclear workers protesting out on the street. So that's the kind of effect that we have. And I know that time in 2002, the same thing, threw the whole NRC into a stir. So we have to speak truth to power sometimes right at their front door. Uh, It's worth it. We need to do it more and more. D.C., uh, pardon the expression, is a target-rich environment in terms of federal agencies who are wronging the public and need to be held to account on a very regular basis. We need to do more of that. We need folks from around the country to help us do that because we're maxed out, completely maxed out, often on travel ourselves. So we need a lot of help to do that. What do you think would be the best way that we could follow up on this and build on the momentum? We've certainly all met each other. We're networking. We're going to strategize tomorrow. But what do you think would be the best use of our energies from this point on to continue to build our movement? Well, you know, if folks who are in the region of a nuclear power plant, the NRC is there quite often and can be demanded. Like the new chairwoman, Allison McFarlane, has publicly stated that she wants to travel the country and meet with community groups near the nuclear power plants. So groups should contact her office. Uh, Mary Wollen from her staff was out here just now. That would be a person to reach out to to try to set up these meetings at the grassroots level. The NRC, of course, also uh, has public meetings at the nuclear power plants or in the vicinity on a fairly regular basis, at least once a year, these annual review meetings. The public needs to take those over because those are dog and pony shows. They try to run out the clock between the company and the NRC. They'll go for two, two and a half hours really saying nothing the whole time. Or if they're saying anything, it's nuke speak. Nobody knows what they're saying. The public, like at Indian Point, the public, like at Vermont Yankee, have been taking over these regularly scheduled meetings. And up at Palisades in Michigan, we've been taking over their special meetings, they call them. When the nuke plant is at the brink of breaking down disastrously, they'll have special meetings to explain why it's no big deal to us. And we've 
we've really spoken truth to power in Michigan time and time again. We're a little bit too well behaved because we still let them run the show. At Indian Point in Vermont Yankee, people are taking over the NRC meetings because they're sick of it. They're sick of being lied to. And the NRC, you know, and the nuclear establishment altogether, their main activity, as far as I can tell, for the most part, besides splitting the atom to make electricity, is spinning the atom, lying through their teeth in various ways to confuse people, to calm people down about something that's actually very risky and very frightening and needs to be shut down, just like the chanters are saying. That night we held a mini film festival in Georgetown, showing the films Radioactivists and Atomic States of Americas. Both of these films are available to be shown in local communities as a consciousness raiser and or a fundraiser. Saturday, 53 activists gathered to strategize future actions we can take as a movement. For a full day, we networked, discussed, argued, threw up our hands in frustrations, but stuck with it to forge a sense of national community. While we met, a meeting was taking place between a committee of activists and NRC Chair Allison McFarlane, to express our concerns and the problems we have had with the NRC. David Kraft of Nuclear Education and Information Service in Illinois, one of the participants, reported back on what took place. There were six uh, delegates who were uh, there in person. One person couldn't make it. But uh, we brought a series of concerns, uh, both regional and uh, kind of industry-wide, that we wanted to make the agency not just aware of, but focus on as part of their future actions. Some of those concerns were um, the lack or insufficient monitoring that takes place around reactors, where we feel the public needs to have real-time information about what's going on on those reactor sites in case of an emergency. That's totally lacking right now. Another uh, large issue dealt with the storage of radioactive waste in the interim before we get a repository. We brought up the hardened on-site storage issue. Uh, then we also brought up specific reactors like San Onofre in California, uh, Davis Bessey in Ohio, Palisades in Michigan, Zion in Illinois, and my favorite of all, we've renamed it its Port Calhoun in Nebraska now after last year. So we registered these complaints but and concluded giving a very strong message to the agency that the, from the grassroots standpoint, uh, they are a regulatory zero. They are not really concerned. We think that's what NRC means. And until they prove otherwise, uh, and they have a lot of homework to do, uh, that'll be the way they, that uh, we receive them. Where do we go from now with the NRC? What are our next steps? Because Chairwoman McFarlane is brand new to the job, I really believe, I sincerely believe, she wants to outreach and meet with the public more. She has offered that she will meet uh, and have private sessions. She actually prefers, she said, face-to-face sessions. So we would invite uh, organizations that are working on these issues to send letters of invitation to her uh, requesting that if she comes to their community or requesting her to come to the community on a particular issue, make sure you get a face-to-face meeting, make it a public session. She's very willing to do this now, and um, we're in this honeymoon phase where the opportunity is great to do that. When the strategy session ended, I spoke with a series of exhausted activists about how they felt about the three days of events. First, Courtney Hansen from Georgia Wand and Stop Plant Vogel. I feel it was a success in that we had a lot of experience in the room as well as new folks that are coming into the movement and really energized around this issue. 
want to learn and want to grow the movement. So I think in that sense it was a success. I think that everyone is very energized to go back to their own communities and continue the work that they're doing with the support of this national coalition and folks that are experiencing similar fights, similar oppressions, similar struggles in their own communities. I walked to the car in order to record Alice Slater of the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation. Well, I think the briefing was wonderful, and of course, Dennis Kucinich hosted it, and he had to leave us for a vote on this lunatic project to make a national park out of the weapons labs. They were calling it the Manhattan Project Park, and we won the vote, so this was like a symbol that the tide is turning. And this meeting today was wonderful. We had uh, terrific energy, we had a rally yesterday, and a lot of good thinking and planning and networking today. I'm very pleased to be here. And remind us what your key issue is. Well, I'm working to make the connection between nuclear weapons and nuclear power. Every reactor is a bomb factory, and it's basically nuclear power is the evil twin in nuclear bombs. And if we don't get rid of nuclear weapons, we won't get rid of nuclear power and vice versa. This is what this whole controversy is over Iran, enriching its so-called peaceful nuclear power. Japan is so upset at the anti-nuclear power movement that their military has changed their law to make sure that nuclear power is considered part of their national security because anybody that has a reactor has a bomb in the basement. So my position here is to bring that idea into everybody's mind because we've been artificially split and manipulated by psych ops of the U.S. government to make the bomb more lovable. They sold us nuclear power. Gary Shaw is with Indian Point Safe Energy Coalition. Well, I think there were some really high points, and I think that when lots of activists get together, there are always points of contention. We were able to work out some. We weren't able to work out others. But we all all are united in the idea that nuclear energy is just non-workable and terribly dangerous and should be ended. And we also pretty much agreed that there are many, many issues involved in this, including including environmental racism, including taxpayer subsidies that we shouldn't be paying for corporations that make billions of dollars a year. I think it was a good experience for all of us, and it'll work out as a good networking environment so that we can keep in touch and try and share our strategies. Jim Henry explained himself so well, I thought I'd let him introduce himself to you directly. Hi, I'm Jim Henry. I'm an economist and an attorney, and uh, I'm on the uh, board of Tax Justice Network, which is an organization that has been fighting tax havens. But we're pulling together uh, environmental groups and also working with uh, organizations like uh, Citizens Against Nuclear because we think that uh, there's a lot of uh, convergence between issues of tax justice and issues of environmental justice. And on this issue uh, of nuclear, we had a three days of very exciting and important uh, organizing here in Washington. Uh, The first thing I've learned is that nuclear power is no longer economic. The economic case for nukes has been undermined by not only by horrific safety problems like Fukushima, but also just by, uh, you know, the the competitive economics of uh, solar and wind, renewables. Even the chairman of Exelon in uh, Illinois has recently stated that he'd no longer be able to 
afford to build a nuclear power plant. So that brings us down to how do we uh, convert the old plants that are still in place and still have uh, big waste problems. And we just have to keep uh, dismantling them, making the, the case for decommissioning them um, one by one, and hopefully following the example of Germany, which has decided to abandon the nuclear industry to... Uh, to a fate that it justly deserves. So it's exciting to be here. I'm uh, looking at it from the outside, but I think there's a lot of uh, progress that we've already made. We're down to 104 reactors in the United States, and uh, more and more of them are uh, hopefully uh, going to be taken out uh, within the next two, three years. So uh, great, great movement, great rally, and onwards and upwards. The final word on the rally for a nuclear-free future belongs with the founder of the Coalition Against Nukes, Priscilla Starr. The reason the whole CAN rally came together is because of the efforts of many, many people, but there was one who started it and one who saw it through to completion. Priscilla Starr, we're now on the other side of this amazing three-day event in Washington, D.C. How you doing? To know that all these wonderful people are going to come with me through the rest of my life. We're going to be friends forever. We, we made a lot of friends during this journey. We're still on it. We made so many new, great relationships. We realize we connect with the world. We connect with people all over fighting this terrible cause that we know we can win if we connect all together and, and don't let go. It, you know, we all are the tug of war, but we have to pull as hard as we can on our side until we win. There's no other choice. That's it. So moving forward today, I don't have to plan any more rallies. I get to go home and see my dogs and watch the sunset and not worry. I'm planning something. But everyone comes back home with me, and that's the most beautiful part for me. That's the gift. Here's the final thought. What we learned in D.C. is that we are none of us alone. There is a national and an international anti-nuclear community of concerned citizens, terrific people, dedicated people, who are committed to battling this issue, this nuclear menace, for as long as it takes. We will create a nuclear-free future. We are strong, smart, creative, committed, and dedicated. The impact of nuclear contamination is dire. The threat of catastrophic accident or explosion, a constant that's not going to go away by itself. The powers aligned against us are moneyed, connected, enormous, a giant of a foe. The odds against us are enormous, seemingly impossible to overcome. We are, all of us, truly in a David and Goliath battle. I just wish to remind you, David won. So will we. And I invite anyone within hearing of this report to join us. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, September 25, 2012. You can find all our episodes posted on NuclearHotSeat.com. Click on the blog page. You can also get us on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat pages where we post every week and on iTunes Podcasts where you can subscribe for free. Share us Link to us, especially if you're a group, an anti-nuclear group or an environmental group, link to us. This is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so use us as the resource that we are. And if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. 
This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep.